Welcome back to the Roads to Wealth podcast. I'm your host, Josh Rhodes. You know, at this point with the podcast, I have folks asking to come on for guest appearances almost on a daily basis, definitely on a bi-daily basis. Today's guest comes from one of those outreaches. His team actually reached out. I did a couple days of research, digging into what he has going on and found this man is sitting on a gold mine. Today's guest is actually known as the Land Geek. I put that in quotations. His name is Mark Podolsky, and he is widely considered the country's most trusted and foremost authority on buying and selling raw land. To date, he has actively been involved with or completed over 5,000 unique transactions throughout the real estate, the raw land investing world. He's been in this business for over 20 years. Today, he still runs his own transactions. He hosts a couple podcasts. He also coaches others in how to build their own passive income business or strategy in this raw land world. My goal with this episode was to literally extract a step-by-step walkthrough of Mark's process. You'll hear it in the episode, but the conversation really had me on fire, and I'm confident that it's going to get your blood pumping as well. I'm not going to hold you guys from this. This is 45-ish minutes of just rock-solid content. Let's get to it. It's the road of the wealth. I do it for health. For my kids and my spouse. Financially sound. Here we are. Mark, man, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to articulate my sort of appreciation and excitement here. I've listened to you talk and present dozens of times at this point around this idea or this area of the best passive income model three, four, five dozen times at this point. So really, really appreciate you doing this. And man, I am busting at the seams for this conversation. So really, really looking forward to it. Joshua Rhodes, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I appreciate you and excited to share. Yeah, man. I kind of want to start at the very top here, man. For the folks that have just never heard your story, they're tuning in to Mark for the first time. Who are you and what do you have going on today? Sure, sure. So I'm a professional land investor. I've done over 6,000 land deals since 2001. And you know the way that I do it is I want to create a passive income stream without renters, rehabs, renovations or rodents. Yeah, so let's rewind the 2000. And I'm a miserable, micromanaged, 45-minute commute to work and back investment banker. I specialized in mergers and acquisitions with private equity groups. And Josh, it got so bad for me that I wouldn't get the Sunday blues anticipating Monday coming around. I'd get the Friday blues anticipating the weekend going by really fast and have you back at work on Monday. So my firm hires this guy And he's telling me that as a side hustle, he's going to tax deed auctions. He's buying up raw land, pennies on the dollar. He's flipping them online and he's making a 300% return on his money. And I'm looking at companies all day long and a great company, great company has 15% EBITDA margins or free cash flow. Average company is 10%. And I'm looking at companies all day long, less than 10%. So of course, I don't believe him. So we go to New Mexico together. I've got three grand saved up for car repairs. I do exactly what he tells me to do. I buy up 10 half acre parcels, an average price of $300 each. I flip them online and they all sell for an average price of $1,200 each, 300% it worked. 
So I took all that money. I went to another auction. And this is 2000 in Arizona where I live. And there's no one in the room. And I'm buying up lots, buying up acreage for like nothing. And over the next six months, I sold all that property. And I made over $90,000 cash. So I'd go to my wife. And she's pregnant at the time. I said, honey, I'm going to quit my job and become a full-time land investor. And she's like, absolutely not. So I said, okay, okay, no problem. So I worked land investing part-time for about six, for about 18 months. And it took about 18 months for that land investing income to exceed the investment banking income. And then I quit and I've been doing it full-time ever since. Love it. I mean, you being strictly or primarily in the raw land business today, at one point or at some point, did you look at real estate, single family, multifamily, commercial, and why did you decide to go the raw land route versus investing in real estate, which I feel is far more talked about, right? It's far more publicized. So why raw land versus real estate? Yeah. I mean, you haven't been to my house, but I have no business being a homeowner. <laughs> so like- so the idea of having to fix things and, and deal with anything physical really doesn't suit me. So I'm more in the world of just ideas. And so this really suited me well, just this idea of not having anything physical, shuffling paper essentially and making money. So if I could create a passive income stream without having to deal with any renters, renovations, which I have no idea how to do, rehabs, which I have no idea how to do, and rodents, it really suited me. Also the fact that it was scalable and I can do it from anywhere in the world. And plus it's inefficient. So you've got this market where at the end of the day, nobody knows what the value of the land is. It's really what a buyer and a seller agree to. Because if you look at the comparable sales, they're all over the place. And for me, coming from the investment banking world and looking at all these different companies, all these different models, this was the best passive income model I could ever think of. I mean, there's no physical inventory. It's a one-time sale. And then you've got passive income. You've got a niche market that has no pricing pressures and non-competitive and it's scalable. So. I thought, well, what is the best model? And to me, the very best business model is life insurance. Because life insurance is very similar to the land investing business, except it's just an idea. You don't have to go out and buy anything. So you got this one-time sale, it's not physical, it's just an idea, and you, you keep getting this passive income. The problem with life insurance is, you know, you go to a party, nobody wants to talk to you. And it takes like 10 years to move the needle. So for me, this was really something that was right up my alley. And, and I like the fact that it's non-competitive. It is boring. Like, you won't go on HGTV or the DIY network and see me on Flip This Land. The before picture is raw land. The after picture is raw land. So I love it. Yeah. Some of the bullets that you rattle off, the returns, the removing the three T's. And we've had real estate investors come on and talk about the termites, the tenants, the toilets, the rodents, the, the issues, the complications of dealing with terms and people breaking their lease, like all these interesting pieces. You removing all that and then you talking about anywhere from 300% to 1000% returns based on how you decide to exit that land. My ears perk up. I've also got sirens going off. I'm like, what is going on here? So let, let me broad stroke ask the question of how does this work? And then I want to circle back and I'll start to unpack this in a pretty vicious way. But right, I, I want to give a broad stroke here of just how does this work? Sure. Let's go through the model step by step. So we'll use you as a case study. So where do you live? Houston. Okay. So I'm going to assume that you own 10 acres of raw land in Arizona, okay? So, and you owe $200 of back tax. So essentially you're advertising two things to me. Number one, 
You have no emotional attachment to that raw land. You're in Houston, Texas, the property's in Arizona. And number two, you're distressed financially in some weird way because you haven't paid your property tax. And we don't pay for things, we don't value them in the same way. And essentially, since you're not paying your property taxes, the county treasurer is sending you every single month a notice saying, Josh, if you don't pay your property taxes, you're gonna lose this property to a tax lien or a tax deed investor. So all I'm gonna do is look at the comparable sales on your 10 acre parcel for the last 12 to 18 months. I'm gonna take the lowest comparable sale and I'm divide by a four. And that's what Warren Buffett would call a 300% margin of safety. So I'm gonna send you an actual offer of let's say the lowest comp is 10 grand, an actual offer of $2,500. Now you accept it because for you, $2,500 is better than nothing. Now in reality, three to 5% of people accept my quote unquote top dollar deal, top dollar deal. Now, once you accept it, I've got to go do due diligence with in-depth research. I've got to confirm you still own the property. I have to confirm that the back taxes are only $200. I have to confirm that there's been no breaks in the chain of title. I have to confirm that there's no liens or encumbrances on the property. And all this can be done by my team in the Philippines for $11. They're connected to an American title company. If it's over $5,000, I'll just close directly with a title company. I won't take any real risk on that due diligence piece. But we'll assume for $2,500, I'll go through my team. Everything checks out. They go through my whole checklist. And then I buy the property from you for $2,500. Now, I'm going to sell this property 30 days or less. And you know who my built-in best buyer is, right? The neighbors. So I'm going to send out neighbor letters saying, here's your opportunity. Expand your views. Protect your privacy. Know your neighbor. So oftentimes, the neighbors will buy it. Now, if they pass, I'll go to my buyer's list. My buyer's list passes. I'll go to a little website you may have heard of called Craigslist, 10th most trafficked website in the United States. I go to an even smaller one. I know you've heard of this one called Facebook, buy, sell groups in the marketplace. And then I go to the lands, landmoto.com, landsofamerica.com, landandfarm.com, landflip.com, landhub.com, all these platforms where people buy and sell raw land. But Josh, the magic is in the pricing. So I'm going to make the pricing irresistible. So I'm going to ask for a $2,500 down payment on your 10-acre parcel. So I'm going to get my money out on the down. I might go six to 10 months out. And then I'm making a car payment. Let's say $449 a month, 9% interest over the next 84 months. So it's a one-time sale. I've got my money out within immediately or within or six to 10 months. And then I've got this recurring passive income every single month of $449 a month. The next 84 months, again, no renters, no rehabs, no renovations, no roads. And because I'm not dealing with the tenant, I'm exempt from Dodd-Frank, RESPA, and the SAFE Act, all this onerous real estate legislation. So the game that we play is can we create enough of these land notes where our passive income exceeds our fixed expenses? And now we're working because we want to not because we have to. Man, yeah, the volume game. And I'm going to, uh, like I said, I want to circle back and unpack all of this. The great, great overview. When we talk about finding the land, I live in Houston, you sit in Arizona. When we, I've had house hackers come on the podcast and them talk about the first thing you need to do is find a buyer's agent and find five or six of them. They're going to put in lines on the MLS and as house hacking opportunities or badass deals come up, they're going to get them in front of you. I've had self-storage guys come on the podcast, folks that invest in self-storage units and them talk about some of the creative ways and they're doing lots of tree shaking and networking on some of the, the smaller websites like Facebook. 
you mentioned earlier. And I want to maybe put this in your court of how are you finding your land? Do you have a teammate that's going out there like a buyer's agent? Or is there a new process where you can talk us through and that we're able to rent and repeat by city, state? How are you doing this? Right. So we want to go where other people are doing land deals. It's literally that simple. So, I mean, and we also, let's just be honest, right? Nobody wakes up and thinks to themselves, boy, I'd like some raw, raw land in Iowa today. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Unless you live in Iowa. So we're going to focus on Texas and Nevada, Arizona, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, California, New Mexico, Florida, the Sunshine States, the Southwest, a little bit in the Northwest. And then we want to focus on these counties that are an hour to three hours from a big city. So there's a ton of raw land, it's inexpensive. And then all we're gonna do is automate what I just talked about in this process. We're gonna use my software called LG Pass. We're gonna upload a list from the county treasurer or the county assessor. We're gonna send out actual offers and it's just gonna automate the entire piece of it. So 90% of the business is automated with software on the front end and software on the back end. You mentioned the county treasurer there. So you find, let's say you go into Texas, you find a county, Harris County, and then you go to the- right, huge. Yeah, yeah. you go to the treasurer and say the county treasurer. And then what are you asking for? Is there a specific list, a raw land list? What does that process look like? So we'll ask the tax delinquent list and that might include everything. So then we're going to scrub that list by use code. Let's say VL for vacant land. So now we're getting rid of industrial, commercial, residential land, you know, residential property, and we're just stuck with our vacant land. So we're sorted by use code. Is that list free or are they just sending it to you? Anybody that requests it can get it or are you having to pay for that? You have to have a membership? It depends on the county. Every county is different. So sometimes you have to pay, sometimes you don't. Gotcha. But it's public information. Got it. And once you have your list, uh, it comes with all of these properties and you filter out all of the nonsense and you just have raw land looking at that. Do you run criteria or some sort of, do you have requirements on the land needs to look like this or meet this criteria for me to drop an offer? Or once you have that raw land list, all those suckers are getting offers. All the suckers are getting offers, right. So we're going to batch it by APN number or assessor's parcel number. So it's, it's basically by neighborhood. Because if I send somebody with 40 acres, the same off, you know, same offer, somebody with five acres, the 40 acre person is going to send me back glitter in the mail. So we want to price correctly, right? And so we'll look at the comps again and divide by four. We're going to put that into our spreadsheet and our software and send out the proper offers. But we want a three to 5% response rate. So if it's under 3%, then we know we came out too low. And if it's over 5%, then, uh-oh, we better retrade. We were probably a little too high. So that 3 to 5% is a really good metric once we send out our offers. Yeah, I love that. And I had a question tucked in here that I'll have to gloss over because you're, you're fielding it for me. But from the sales side, I was going to ask, do you know, just on average, how many emails you send out, the response rate, the all that? And it sounds like that 3 to 5%, no matter your target size there, if you can get the 3 to 5% response rate, you're right where you want to be. Yeah, exactly. So how are you sending out your offers, right? Because you get this full list and I'm assuming it's just a giant document. Right. So we're going to convert it to a, a CSV file or an Excel file. We're just going to upload it into our software. That software then has an API with a mailing company and it automatically sends out the offers. Check and, that out. Right. Now, again, the last thing we want to do is build another job for ourselves. So my team is the one that actually does this. You can go on fiverr.com give them this massive list. Let's get Harris County 
of 200,000 properties and then give them directions. Sort it by VL, by use code, and then sort it by APN number. You wake up in the morning, five bucks later, it's all set for you. It's in a CSV file. You just upload it. Are you hitting them with some sort of snail mail? Oh yeah, it's an offer of snail mail. Absolutely. Wow. And so you're sending out, let's call it 600 pieces of mail and all these people are opening up three to 5% response rate. I think you covered this earlier, but how are you determining what you're going to offer the, the, the five acres versus the 10 acres versus the 40 acres? I've heard you mention a couple of times, we're going to go to about 25% of what it's been appraised at. Well, no, no, not now it's been appraised at. We want to look at what the recent comparable sales are last 12 to 18 months. Then we went to the lowest comparable sale and divide by four. If you're able to capture it for a quarter of its potential cost, right? Yeah. So you're going down to about a fourth of what they could potentially get for it. I think the most obvious question is why are they selling it, right? If they can go get more for it, four times as much, why are they selling it? Right. So I want you to go to your garage right now, Josh, and imagine I made an offer on everything that's collecting dust in your garage. How quickly would you accept that offer? 25 cents a dollar, right? So they don't know how to sell it. They don't want to spend time learning how to sell it. They just don't want to keep paying the property taxes on it. What was once an asset to them is now a liability. We're helping them out because now they can go and use that money to do something more productive than just keep this raw land that they're never going to go use. It's so interesting. And when they, they get an offer from you, it's something that that's, it's appetizing. They're willing to at least look at it and it's their three to 5% response rate. Are they writing a letter back to you and saying, Hey, we're interested. Are you then jumping on the phone and running through some negotiations? Like what does that phase look like? Right. So that's our intake phase. So we have an intake manager that handles that incoming mail. So oftentimes somebody will just be confused or they just want to yell at me about the offer. We don't want to deal with that. So we have our intake manager handle that negotiation, walk them through the closing process. And then we really decide, is this a real seller or not? Sometimes the negotiation is ridiculous. They want way too much money. And we're like, well, why ask for that much? Why don't you ask for a billion dollars? Because in the reality, you make yourself, make yourself feel better. You might as well say it's worth a billion dollars because your odds of getting that billion are the same as this offer that your counter offer is. So hold my offer when you're back to reality let us know and we'll work with you. So that's kind of how, so that's what the intake manager does as our virtual assistant and then helps close that deal as well. It sounds like you've got a team that you've outsourced and they're doing a lot of this for you. And I love this, man. Your initial offer, roughly a quarter of what the land around is selling for. Do you have sort of a cap on like, let's say my first offer is going to be about 25%, but if they negotiate and it comes above 35% tell them to kick rocks. Like, do you have a cap there? Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go above 30%. Got it. Yep. So that's good. How about, so you've got the list of 600, you've sent out all these offers, you start getting responses. I'm assuming of the folks that respond, that's when you start your due diligence process. Doing due diligence on 600 plots of land sounds insane. I don't even look at the list. I just send out the offers, whatever comes back, that's when we do our due diligence. Absolutely. Gotcha. You know, the gotcha. whole, the whole hey. philosophy is that I can always make more money. I can't get more time. So anything that's going to save me time, I want to do. 
And you've mentioned your the folks you've outsourced to, you've provided a checklist, right? So that maybe the first 10 deals you've done yourself and said, okay, these are the important criteria. Now I'm able to outsource this and they can look for the same things. What does that due diligence process, what does that due diligence list look like? What are the requirements or what, what's important to you once you've received the offer and you say, okay, we're going to start our, our due diligence process. What's important to you? The most important thing to me is that there is profit, right? So if the back taxes are too high, and it's a pass. That's number one. The second most important thing to me is I can actually own it. So if mom and dad have both died and it's a probate deal and they haven't done their probate paperwork or I can't do an affidavit of airship, it's a pass. Again, it's not worth my time. Deals are like the bus. There's another one down the pike. And then the third piece is I want to make sure there's no liens or encumbrances. So I want to just know what I'm getting into. Once those big three are solved, then I want to start looking at it from the buyer's point of view. What's compelling about the property? What are the roads like? What's around the property? What can we do on the property? Can I get the GIS maps? Can I get the plat maps? Can I get the aerial maps? Can I get photos? Can I get video? And what kind of really get a, a lay of the land? Because again, I'm not going to physically go out there and stomp on the property. But if I've never done a deal there, someone's going to go out there and look at the property and fill out my property checklist. So what we'll do is we'll do like a local Craigslist gig for 50 bucks, have somebody go out there, tell us what the roads are like, how far from the hospital, the nearest Walmart, nearest McDonald's, what's compelling about the property. And then we'll have them use an app called what3words.com to send us the GPS coordinates. So we know they're close enough to the property. Check that out, man. So you're actually acquiring properties. I mean, for lack of better terms, I'm going to put in quotation, sort of sight unseen, right? Like somebody is looking. Yeah, somebody's looking. Wow, that's so interesting. And are you evaluating those properties with a specific type of customer or buyer in mind, right? Like all of my properties are campgrounds or all of my properties are hillside land or whatever that is. Like, are you buying with a specific type of buyer, specific type of user or buyer in mind? Or is it just... I mean, there's a lust for land in this country. I've done this over 6,000 times. Guess how many pieces of property I couldn't sell? How many? Zero. I've never been Zero. stuck <laughs> with property. So, and I remember talking to my wife, like, she's like, well, what happens if you can't sell the property? I'm like, well, worst case is we own raw land. It's not like I'm filling up the garage with a bunch of stuff. Maybe I could barter it for free haircuts or, you know, free dentistry. You know, there's some value there. But I bought land that looked like Chernobyl. It all sold. So there is a pig for every barn. Just because I may not like the land doesn't mean someone else would love that piece of raw land. You have, they've met your criteria. You've sent the offer. They've said, hey, we're interested. You run through your due diligence. They check all your boxes. Are you ready to buy that property at this point? Absolutely. I'm ready to check. Got it. Is there a average cost per acre or however, I'm, I'm going to screw up your terms here, right? But is there an average sort of cost per acre down South or in the areas that you're looking at? Is there a rule of thumb that you use or is it literally different across the board? I know California is much different than Texas, right? But is there a rule of thumb you use? No, there's no rule of thumb. It's just, what are the comparable sales? What is this thing sold for? Can I get 25, 30 cents a dollar? If it's a million dollars, I want to buy it for $250,000. If it's $1,000, I want to buy it for $250. There's someone else on the other end of that deal. I can always double my money. And I can leave enough meat on the bone. And are you just writing a check at that point? Or is there some sort of specific loan type that works better or specifically for raw land? How's the financing of this look? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm writing a check. Now, in every business, and especially in real estate, we want to use three forms of leverage. We want to use other people's time. We want to use software. We want to use other people's money. So essentially, if we're making 300 to 1,000%, we can borrow at, it doesn't matter what we're borrowing at, as long as it's a debt. I don't want to give out profit because there's no reason to. But how many of your friends are earning 0% on the, in the bank? Tell them you'll, you'll give them 10% a quarter, 12% a quarter. They'll throw you money. And you don't need that much money. I started with three grand. My buddy's rents are $800. I have students, they've started with nothing. And they've done double closings and generated cash. Do you offer a syndicate group or some sort of rolling fund yourself that folks that don't want to get, I mean, this, this doesn't even sound like an involved process. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't like to talk about it publicly. You've got to be an accredited investor. It's a one-to-one -one conversation, but we do have that available. Awesome. For the folks that uh, they meet your criteria, you make an offer and they have, you've mentioned back taxes a couple of times. They owe taxes. How does that affect your offer? Is that something that you're just taking off your initial offer. Hey, my initial offer was 2,500 bucks. You owe 500 bucks in taxes. It's now $2,000. Yeah, yeah. So it's 2,000 to them. And it's 500 to the treasurer. Absolutely. To the treasurer. Gotcha. So you're just taking that off the initial offer. Once they come back, you say, now see, you have back taxes. Do you know that beforehand? Oh yeah. We don't close until we know what the back taxes are. Awesome. What does the process to get that resolved look like? Because you inherit the land. Is it simple as you pay it off and now that land is wiped clean? Or is there a sort of legal process that you've got to go through to clear that land? No, I mean, it's as simple as paying your taxes. You own the property, you just write a check, you contact the county treasurer and ask, how do I pay the taxes? You can do it online, you can send them a check. It really doesn't matter. And you mentioned earlier, uh, your wife brought up, you know, what if land sits on hand, right? What if I can't sell it? Uh, this is a question I had tucked away. And I, I said in this side hustle podcast on Monday, it was actually a WebEx. And I listened to this woman as a solopreneur and she would buy land. It was actually on landfarm.com, her first piece of land she bought. Uh, she bought a piece of land and then she went to Walmart. She bought these sticks, one, two, three, four, five. They had the numbers written on top. She just stuck them in the ground and she turned it into a campsite. And so she would rent out these small plots of land. She kept talking about, I'm renting out dirt bags, right? Like that's what she kept saying. I'm renting out dirt bags, like tents on dirt. That is all that's on this property. She was crushing, man. She was making loads of money. She was, she was buying more land. Have you implemented anything like that? Like as the land sits in your hands, do you try or have you thought about putting anything on that land as far as letting folks camp there or letting them ride their dude buggies around or whatever that is, four wheelers? Like, is there something you could do there to profit in those 30 days or is it such a quick turnaround? You're like, I'm, I'm not even worried about that. I'm not really worried about it. I'm really more worried about getting my capital out. I like the model. I mean, there's all these websites like hipcamp.com where you could do that. I could imagine if I had a slow selling piece of land, I might do that. But 20 years, I've, <laughs> I haven't done it. I'm flexible like a yogi and it's fine. But you know there is liability associated with that. The more people that go out that land, they get hurt. Remember, I own the, the underlying asset. It's just, I'm not a complicated person. I just want to keep yeah. it. <laughs> 30, that land sits in your hands on average 30 days. As you're making that acquisition, are you already in parallel finding a buyer for that property? Like as you buy the property, are you selling the property or uh, is that two separate phases? What's that look like for you? Yeah, no, I'm selling it really fast. Yeah. 80 20 principle. You mentioned Facebook and Craigslist and neighbors and your emailing list. I'm sure most of the folks getting started don't have a uh, 
you know, a, a strength or a strong email list of buyers, but 80-20 principle, do you have a place where most of your purchases come from? Are most of those coming from neighbors? Are most of those coming from Facebook? Where, where's your hotspot? Yeah, our clients are crushing it on Facebook. So I'd say Facebook is one, the buyers list is two, the neighbors is three, everything else is four. And you put it on Facebook. What does that message sound like? I mean, you said earlier, this is, you're putting down a down payment and then it's kind of like a, a car payment month over month. Is that how you're pitching this? Like, yeah, yeah. You can, yeah. Own, you can own land for as little as a car payment? Yeah, absolutely. Your title has to be compelling. I like big lots and I cannot lie or you know, <laughs> make this land great again or instant equity. But yeah, that's going to be your headline to get views and get that conversation going. How do you decide? Because I know there's a couple ways you can sell this property. You can sell it outright or you can sell it. I believe I read it's an owner financed sale is what I read there. So how do you know during that selling process? Okay, I'm going to do the owner financed sell or I'm going to sell outright. How do you decide which one you're going to use? I don't. The market decides for me. Now, I personally don't want to constantly keep hustling. So if I keep selling for cash, I'm now in the hustling business. Because now I get that cash, pay my taxes, have to redeploy the capital. But if I'm in the owner financing business, well, that gives me a huge runway of time of creating this passive income stream that I can do lots of creative things with that solve lots of issues. So I want to solve two big problems in life. I want to solve my money problem, but more importantly, I want to solve my, solve my time problem. Because once I have enough passive income, then I solve my time problem. But if I sell for cash, my time problem is not solved. Now I have to redeploy the cash and keep hustling and keep doing that again. So personally, everything I advertise is on terms. If somebody wants to pay cash, I'll take it and we'll go on from there. Yeah. The difference is, keep me honest, please. I'm somewhat reading from your website, also using my notes, but set the sell outright option, you average somewhere around 300%. But if you, the, the, preferred method where you're talking about building this passive income and getting this month over month over month, you're averaging around a thousand percent. Correct. Because you have time value of money. Right. Totally. Totally. It was a new process or it was a new sort of term and method for me. Can you talk about this owner financed sell? I know we've done this a little bit, but talk about what that looks like for the buyer. Right. So how many people can afford, let's say $10,000 cash? Right. Yeah, not many. Well, yeah. Not a smaller percentage that can afford two forty, like a car payment, two forty nine a month. So that's all it is. Is that I'm the bank now, and I'm using the software called GeekPay.io. It's a set it and forget it system. So I collect my down payment. Let's say it's a thousand dollars, and then I'm going to automate that two forty nine a month every single month for the next eighty four months. And then it just comes out of their checking account every single month. They can log in as a borrower, see what their current balance is. They can make a prepayment if they want. So again, it's going to eliminate all those headaches they used to have where they'd call up, oh, what's my current balance? How do I make a prepayment? It's all there now in the software. Now, if their ACH fails, it will hit the credit card on file. So my default rate is about 10%. We don't do credit checks. But if they default, great. Keep all the down payment. I keep all the monthly payments. And then I simply resell it. I get a new down payment, get a new monthly payment. It extends out my ROI out into the future. I was going to ask you that. At what point is the land theirs? When they pay the promissory note, then we convey ownership. So we use a land contract, not a deed of trust, which means that that asset remains in my ownership until they pay off their promissory note. Now, if they're late, they've got 30 days to cure the default. After 30 days, I keep everything and I resell it. Man, 
I'm so floored and a bit shocked of the returns we're able to get with this process. I'm going to ask the same question on the other side. You're kind of playing middleman here, right? And if a buyer, if, if a buyer is coming to you and they're able to buy something at, they're buying at 300% plus of what you purchased it for, why don't they go to the source directly? right? Is this again, like they don't know that it exists or they don't have the time, they don't have the process. Right, right. So let's just pick on your Houston Texans hat. Yeah, right? come on. So <laughs> you can sew that or you could go to maybe Baidu.com. You can, you can try to find a Chinese manufacturer to do that, right? But it's kind of easier for you to just go to the sports store or go online and buy it. You're not really that interested. So for example, when's the last time you actually checked out what the cost basis was of the company that you bought something from. Never, we don't care. We just want what we want, right? We want it to be easy. So these people that are buying land for me, they don't really care about my profit. They understand it's a business. I am gonna make a profit and they're happy. Still screaming hot. I mean, you're selling to land investors. No, I mean, it's still, they still have equity. Yeah, they're still getting a great asset. It lasts forever. It's a generational asset. They can enjoy it and use it, but they're buying it maybe 75, 85 cents on the dollar. It's incredible, man. What risks have I not talked about, right? Like, I don't know what I don't know. This option, this avenue really excites me. I'm sure you've got the attention of the listeners. What risks have we not explored? What's worth spending a cycle on here? Right, so your biggest risk is an environmental issue. So this is why we focus on the Southwest, Northwest, California, Florida. But if let's say we we find a smoking deal in New Jersey, then I got to go to epa.gov and make sure it's not in a Superfund site. So any of these industrial states, if you buy in a Superfund site, you are now responsible for millions and millions of dollars of cleanup on that site. So that's your biggest risk, is just buying in something that has some type of issue environmentally. But again, the areas we're buying, they're not gonna have that. These aren't manufacturing states or big industrial states. But that would be a big risk. I think the other risk is not doing your tile search well. And you realize, holy cow, I just paid somebody that can't even convey ownership to me because they don't even own it themselves. So that's another issue. Got it. And the hustle here has me super stoked, man. For the folks that want to learn more about this process, I mean, there are tons of moving pieces and I feel we've done an okay job at brushing the surface of these, but uh, being able to find the templates and understand the processes and being able to get the, the, the actionable steps here, where can I funnel my folks? Where can they learn more from you or from your team? How can they consume more of this? Yeah, I think the best place to go is thelandgeek.com. We've got a, a whole tailing course, how to double your money. 30 days or less. I'd love to offer it to your listeners for free. It's normally 97 bucks. Just go to landgate.com forward slash quick deals. And I think that's the best way to learn is by doing. But again, the last thing I want anyone to do is create another job for themselves. All of this can be delegated, outsourced, create a team, create this passive income machine. And we show you how to do it step-by-step step. because it is overwhelming in the beginning. Absolutely. How many hours are you, and you're probably more busy than your team or the folks you're training, your students, the folks that take your course are the students that are learning to outsource. And this is a passive income stream. How involved are they on a week to week or month to month basis, hourly or whatever that is? Yeah. When we're training them, we ask them to spend an hour or two a day in the business and then building their team out. So by the 12 month mark, the 18 month mark, they should be able to travel around the world. And this business is spitting out passive income for them. They're getting that mailbox money on an automated 
basis. So I personally spend about an hour or two a week in Frontier Properties, in the land investing business, speaking to the team, looking at the numbers. And then if I'm drinking coffee, I might break something that's working. Like, hey, have we checked out Zillow? Let's start selling on Zillow. They're like, oh, we're, we're killing on Facebook. Like, no, 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 I know, but let's try this. So yeah. that's really my role now as CEO is to think about strategy and other revenue opportunities, but not, I'm not doing due diligence. I'm not doing intake. I'm not selling, I'm not posting ads. I'm not doing any of that. Um, I'm not even managing the note. I'm just managing the team because you know it's once it's set up, you have a process in place. That's really what you're doing is you're creating a process. You want to be bulletproof. So no matter who comes in that role, they're ready to go. The process is solid. I love what you're putting down. I interviewed Nathan Hirsch, who he founded FreeUp, an outsource school, or it's a, it's a virtual assistant company. He sold FreeUp and then he started Outsource School, which it's a company that's built to train virtual assistants. And what he teaches, it's exactly what you're saying. It's become an expert at what you're going to train at. Become an expert at that. Do that process several times, as much as it takes for you to learn the in and out. And then when you write this, he calls it a standard operating procedure, right? An SOP. You get a standard operating procedure in place. You make a few videos. You video yourself doing it a few times. Then you outsource to a virtual assistant and they can rinse and repeat. Every night you wake up. I do that with a uh, with for my podcast outreach right now. I wake up every morning to about 15 to 20 leads of, hey, these are potential folks that you could, these are potential podcasts you could go on. It's the, I mean, you're following the exact same process. You did this, this land investing, this raw land investing cycle, 10, 15, 20, 50 times, built a standard operating procedure, and then you've outsourced this to several other folks, several other teams, and now it's a hands-off passive income business. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're not meant to just work, work, work. So I get to spend time doing the things I really want to do, move up Maslow's hierarchy of needs into self-actualization. But if I'm constantly working and hustling and doing all these things, I don't have time. I'm just exhausted. Mark, you, your team, you guys are the real deal. I spent lots of time on your podcast. I've spent lots of time on your blog. I really enjoy the content that you guys are producing and it's so actionable, right? You guys have simplified things to where I'm able to actually consume it and act on it uh, versus it being so high level and confusing and moving around. So I appreciate the simplicity of it. I appreciate you dumbing this down for me and for us. This was spot on. I mean, just, I couldn't have asked for anything better. So I appreciate your time. I appreciate you doing this for the listeners. Thank you all for tuning in. I will have everything that we've discussed, resources, links, your website, your podcast, the blogs, everything that I've used for my notes and preparing for this. This will all be linked in the show notes. You can find that at roadstowealth.com. I also own wealthinterviews.com now. So thank you, Josh Reasons for that. Listeners, really appreciate you tuning in. Thank you all for your ears. Mark, thank you, brother. Stay on your grind. Josh, thank you. I mean, how incredible is this little side hustle or this, this what feels like a hack that we have stumbled on here? I mentioned in the introduction, I have folks reaching out to jump on the podcast for pitching themselves, pitching their team almost on a daily basis, right? When, when I saw Mark's email, obviously it got the eyebrow raise of what is going on here. After doing a deep dive on his content and listening to him, I was blown away. Today's interview was no different. They crush. And 
I'm really interested in what they have going on here. I've already connected with a couple of Mark's students. My goal here is to double down and triple down and quadruple down on this avenue. And let's really explore this and see if this this is really what it sounds to be, right? And and if we're on something here. So I'm going to keep building questions and content around this. I will have others that uh, are in the same vertical or avenue on the podcast. If you guys have any questions, hit me up. I have three big takeaways for you guys. As always, you know this is a an action-packed or content-packed podcast. If you're interested in pulling or having all of the notes that I've pulled from this podcast, you guys can send me an email, find me on my website, roadstowealth.com. I've got lots of notes here. I'm happy to send them your way. The first sort of big takeaway here is I just want to rattle off some of the bullets, some of the reasons or, or benefits of raw land investing. We covered lots in the episode, but it's trickled throughout. I want to sum them up in three or four bullets here. Uh, the first is being able to remove the what Mark described, the three R's of rehabs, rodents, and renters, right? The three R's. We also heard John Marshalla, if you think back several episodes where the self-storage guys, they described it as, we don't want to be in real estate because we want to be out of the three T's, right? Toilets, tenants, and termites. Uh, they're saying the same thing here. Of let's remove all of the moving pieces and just invest in the underlying asset. We want something that uh, doesn't involve the people and the problems, couple other points here from benefits. You don't have to have a huge savings to get started. You don't have to have a lot of capital saved up. Mark's first auction he attended, he had $3,000. He also mentioned a, a student in his class or that's working with him today that got started with 800 bucks. So you don't have to have tens of thousands of dollars ready to go to buy this property or buy land. 90% of this process is automated and or outsourced. So this is something that once you've entrenched yourself and built a standard operating procedure, you've found your team, you don't have to be that involved. And it's something that you can continue to push through your primary position. You can focus on uh, things that really spark your interest or things that you want to learn more about. At that point, you're at a financially independent point. You can do whatever the hell you want. The final point I'll make here is you know, something Mark said at the very end of the podcast. There's a lust for land in this country. And he's been doing this over 20 years. He has never been unable to sell a piece of property or a piece of land zero times. The, the second big summary bullet or takeaway here is I just wanted to quickly touch on how he's framed the sell, right? And the term, the trick to this whole thing is the how you've acquired and then how you turn and sell this. Mark is paying, as you guys heard, but literally pennies on the dollar, 20 to 30 cents on the dollar for these pieces or for this land. He is then turning around and selling that. And when he sells it, he's asking for a down payment on the property. That down payment is his initial investment. So on the down payment, he makes his money back. From there, they are paying a monthly fee. It's very low, sometimes 40, 50, 60 bucks, month over month over month, 60 to 80 months. Really interesting. And it's a really, really cool way to build some passive income. The third big bullet here, and this is something that I found really intriguing, is Mark mentioned, I think twice in the episode today, you can always make more money 
but you can't make more time. His entire process, his entire business, his ideas are built around this idea. He has outsourced over 90% of his workflow. He casts a really wide net when sourcing. Uh, When he sells his land, he looks and tries to do as many owner-financed deals as possible to build passive income. There is a point, a breaking point, where that passive income exceeds your monthly expenses and then you're working because you want to, not because you have to. As always, I'm so thankful for Mark, he, his team reaching out, also the introductions and the continued relationship. I think there's something really interesting here and so I'm excited to continue to explore. Appreciate him coming on the podcast today. There's lots to dig into. Even more thankful for you guys as the listeners for tuning in and the continued support. Anything, uh, everything that you need from this episode will be found at Roads to Wealth, including all the resources that were mentioned will be found in the show notes. And that's really all I have for you folks this week. Give someone a hug this week. Stay on your grind. Financially speaking, uh, I've been finding blessings through all of these demons. Uh, I pray to God, I give you something to reach with. Uh, See, I give you something to leave with. It's life about goals and achievements. Your eyes on the prize, they hit out your mind. They pray to whatever beliefs in. Teach on the way, know that they're beaching the way. Gotta shine hard in the teacher's water. Know that little seed, they gon' grow tomorrow. So every day, gotta come with us. Shit. So they give you something to stand on. Make the fuss off when you land raw. You put some new friends on. It's a road to the world. Uh, I do it for help. Yeah. My kids and my spouse. Yeah. I financially sound. Uh, it's a road to the world. Yeah. I do it for help. Yeah. My kids and my spouse. Yeah. I financially sound. You could bet that.